You only have one life to live, so get the most out of it. On Good Life, Great Life, join me, Brian Highfield, and my guests as we share success stories, habits, mindsets, and lessons learned by successful people. These lessons are not taught in schools, but are critical for getting ahead in life. Whether you want a successful business or career, optimal health, or a lifestyle that most people just dream of, Good Life, Great Life has you covered. After retiring from a successful corporate career in my 40s, I founded multi-million dollar businesses in the sports and healthcare arenas. Now, I help everyday people maximize their lives and speak regularly at seminars, on podcasts, and radio shows to share principles on the topics of health, wealth, and happiness. Don't let a good life get in the way of a great life. Join me today on Good Life, Great Life. Well, welcome to another episode of Good Life, Great Life. And so today we have our guest, we have Christopher Smithmeyer. So welcome to the program, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, let's let's enlighten the audience a little bit. Uh, can you tell them a little bit about your your background and what you're all about? Um, my name's uh, Dr. Chris Smithmeyer. I'm an adjunct instructor in the MBA program at Doan University, and I'm also the vice president of international affairs for Brave Online Conflict Management. And I just uh, started in my spare time uh, a company called Black Wallet that deals with crypto. Um, background for me is whenever I start out, I usually start with my academics. I have nine degrees, so I'm up there in the world rankings for knowledge that many times. And um, prior to working with Brave, I was uh, the CFO of Africa Peace and Conflict Network. We brought a lot of people over from Africa to study in colleges here in the United States and go back to do conflict management over in their home countries. And then whenever I had the opportunity to transition to Brave, it just seemed like the perfect fit. And I've been with them since the end of 2016. So it's um, been an exciting run. And we're actually probably starting in the fall or spring, we're going to be starting to take students around the world to learn about conflict management uh, through uh, an extension program with Doan. Yeah, sounds great. That's awesome. Tell, tell us a little bit more about Black Wallet and what, what that is and what it's all about. Well, uh, last July, my business partner and I, Ryan Ash, we got together and we were talking about one of the coins that had entered the market. And if you've been watching the crypto market, you'll see things come with uh, names that I'm not going to say on the radio. They're like really offensive names. So whenever something like that's really legitimate and really helps people comes out, we were like, wow, that's something that could help people. How could crypto really help people? And we started talking about developing a coin that could help people in some of the less developed countries around the world um, actually have access to wealth, um, not be under the thumb of oppressive regimes. And it was one of those conversations you've had whenever you've had a couple of drinks or something and you write <laughs> something down on a napkin and forget about it for six months. Well, about two months later, I found my notes about the same time he found his notes and we got to thinking about it. And we designed a cryptocurrency that is going to be launching in the next couple months to help people around the world and help increase crypto compliance and people's understanding of crypto. Because one of the big things you hear when you're out there, and this is um, really good marketing from the position of the central banking cartels, is crypto is not backed by anything. And it's really, it's a myth. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we need to challenge out there because 
even the most basic coin, which is Bitcoin, which oddly enough is the most valuable coin right now, is backed by something. It's the transactions that go across the blockchain. And the way I like to explain it to people is think about a toll road. When you're on a toll road, you pay money, but you don't own the road. You just get the use of it for that amount of time. And that's how blockchain works. Whenever somebody's using someone's blockchain for a smart contract, someone pays for that amount of time on the road. And the Bitcoin is actually shares in the company that owns that specific block or Ethereum or Cardano or Solana or our upcoming coin. And that is the basis of value. And the crypto community has done a really bad job at pushing back at this central banking myth that crypto is not backed. So we're really working to get the message out there that there are actually four ways to value crypto. One is the transitional value that I just talked about. The other is transactional. It's how many people actually use the currency. And then there's, of course, the market value, which everybody fixates on, which is um, what the average person sitting there playing on their cell phone trading thinks it is. And then there's the actual value, which is based off of whatever the coin's backed on. So if you're doing something like our, our, our Kira's coin, or you're looking at Tether or Ripple or Bash, all of these coins have a backing and those backings are whatever they're backed with. Uh, Tether's backed with the US dollar, Ripple's backed with gold, Bash is backed with other cryptos. And of course, ours is going to be backed with a basket of goods. So that's really what we're seeing coming in crypto is the tokenomics is getting better. People are actually going to be able to go to websites to see what things are worth. And that's really going to empower the average everyday user, the person that's receiving the marketing, because they're going to actually be able to go and fact check it on their own rather than having to rely on somebody like Yahoo Finance or something like that to tell them what something's worth. Yeah, and I, I remember, you know, and, and crypto is new to a lot of people. And, and so um, and, and I, I, I don't know I, I, a lot about crypto. I guess I know more than the average person. <laughs> Um, and and so I, I like how you kind of kind of explain that uh, and use that analogy with with uh, like a, like a turnpike and and people often say well it's like well it's it's you know how does it value anything it doesn't have the backing and and so you know we talk about well let's look at paper money I mean it's a piece of paper it doesn't have a lot of value it's just you everyone has this belief. Um, based on the backing of the U.S. government, that it has this value, and so it's really the belief in in the uh, in the currency um, that it gives it that that value, um, and and so it helps them make that transition from okay, now I'm starting to understand. There's enough people value what Bitcoin and and other cryptocurrencies can do, and just understanding the history of trying to decentralize that a little bit. I mean, it really took off. Really, when we when we had the um, the financial crisis back in two thousand nine, did this get a lot more attention? Is that right? Oh, I mean, that was amazing, and a lot of it came from the stimulus checks and the extra unemployment people got because people were used to living on a certain amount, and then you get this bump in your amount of money and. Everybody for the last 40 years has been telling us, if you get extra money, you have to invest it. Mm -hmm. Well, who are you going to invest it with? The banks were doing horrible during the first couple months of COVID. They were just, there was runs on banks. People were taking all of their money out. So, okay, we're not going to invest with a bank. That's not a great idea. What about stocks? Well, okay, well, I like Royal Caribbean. Oh, wait, the CDC just shut them down. Oh, how about um, Carmike Theaters? Oh, wait, 
the Department of Interior just shut them down. It's like, well, who else do I, who else am I going to invest in? And then crypto came along and you saw that little bump that Bitcoin and Ethereum got in early 2020. And people mm -hmm. said, hey, this is moving. And all of these people who were completely novice traders now, who are the experts in crypto, by the way, like you start seeing these people that have been like peddling silver on TV um, or gold, yeah, like yeah. Lear Capital or something like that. And they're like, oh, we're the new crypto experts. No, you're not the new crypto experts. <laughs> the crypto experts are the 17-year-old kid that went from being worth $15 a week mowing lawns to being worth $3 billion in a year and a half because he learned what patterns matched and he learned how crypto works. Those are the experts and they're actually starting to come forward. These kids are coming out with college, college degrees. They're going and getting their MBAs. They're going and getting their computer programming degrees and they're coming out with new cryptos, new methodologies for marketing it and ways to keep the government from just basically running it into the ground because um, if you watch the congressional hearings, and I'm not going to get political on this because both sides are morons on this issue, and you watch them ask questions, and you watch the, the woman who owns Tether explain them, explain crypto to them like you would to a first grader because mm -hmm. these Congress people have no idea what's going on. And then they turn around, and from her really good testimony, she did amazing. They turn around and say, so what you're saying is the government should put all of our money on a single server, which has a basic hack me sign on it that like Wiley Coyote would set up to try to catch the roadrunner. And that's what the U.S. government's looking at doing now is put all of our money on a server. And whereas the blockchain is nearly impossible to hack, nothing is impossible to hack, but it's very, very difficult because it's mm -hmm. set up off of a botnet. They're talking about getting like your old 1980s server sticking it in a closet somewhere down in Washington, D.C., and hoping that the FBI's cybercrime unit will be able to protect it with the most valuable currency in the world sitting there where every hacker in the world already tries to hack the Federal Reserve at least five times a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at least. It, it's just crazy. And the, the woman from Tether has got to be sitting there being like, did, did they listen while I talked? <laughs> And I don't think they did. I think they already had their mind backed up that they were going to take the Federal Reserve currency and give them a chance to do it again. And we've been watching this for years. I mean, anyone that's an adult has seen that since the 1960s, the Federal Reserve has not been capable of managing the monetary wealth of the United States. We went from being a nation that everybody owed money to, to the most expensive debt in the history of the world. We owe yeah. more money that if aliens came along and said, hey, we could pay off your debt for 34 million, just sell us the planet, or 34 trillion, just sell us the planet, we would have to sell the planet to cover the debt. <laughs> and it's a debt that it's, just can't be paid back. It's just, it's just too big. And the, what happens, and we've seen this every 100 years for the last thousand, is whenever countries get into a situation where they can't pay back debts, they start a war. like, And people start thinking about it. Well, how much money did Russia owe to Ukraine? Well, they don't owe any now because they're at war with them. Hmm. This is what happens. And, and then you have the two world superpowers with China owning about, I believe last time I checked, it's like about $4 trillion of our debt. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what do you do whenever superpowers are like that? And the question's been answered dozens of times in history. 
or um, England and Germany went to war. Germany and Moscow went to war. France and Germany went to war. England and France went to war. They, that's how they get. That's how governments get out of debt because they're not businesses. They're not held to be accountable. And what happens is, old rich guys get out of their debt, and young poor people die in wars. And we need to get out of that model. And that's one of the big things that crypto is pushing for: is getting away from governments having control of national debt and putting it back in the hands of the people. Because if you divide that national debt down to the twenty-seven thousand a month that we each own, there are people mm-hmm. that pay that to pay that off. And if we start doing it person by person, it works a little bit better. So why, why is there so many cryptos and, and how do you go about starting your own crypto? Um, the reason that there's so many is because everybody has an idea. And this is crypto has become, um, I'm not a big Mitt Romney fan, but whenever he said marketplace of ideas for the states, it was a brilliant statement, probably the only brilliant thing he ever said. <laughs> and, um, and I met the guy. and. He, he brought up a good point that it's a marketplace of ideas. And if you have an idea, you can make a crypto for it. If you think that dogs should be able to have cryptocurrency to buy their favorite toys, you can go out and do that. Somebody probably listening to your show right now is like, damn, that's a good idea. I'm <laughs> going to do idea. that. Let's do it. <laughs> and good, go get it. More cryptos, the merrier. Because anybody that has an idea, good, bad, or ugly, can make, make a crypto for it. And we should be encouraging that because yes, some people are going to go out there and fail. Some people are going to go out there and succeed and new people are going to have money and new people are going to lose money. So that's a good thing. And with the different cryptos, what you look for is stability. Make sure that they're not based off of a joke. Um, There are a lot of joke like cryptos Mm -hmm. out there Um, during the, during the congressional hearings, one of the congressmen said something about a completely made up crypto name. Within five minutes, somebody had spooled up a crypto mm-hmm. of that name and it went up 2000% in the next hour. Wow. People made probably hundreds of dollars. Nobody probably made like billions of dollars off of that growth. But the reason that having so many crypto is a good thing and it's not really pushing a market out is because we're going out into cyberspace. There are three ways human exploration can go right now. We can go to space, which unless you're Jeff Bezos, um, the guy that owns Virgin Galactic, I can never remember his name, and um, Elon Musk, unless you're one of those guys, you're going to have a real hard time exploring space. Yeah, Richard Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. And even NASA is having a hard time keeping up with those three billionaires because they're better funded than the U.S. government is. Yeah. The other way to go is start looking at exploring the ocean floor. And there are thousands of people that are doing that right now, privately exploring the ocean floor. Great industry. Um, it's finding a lot of history that we've lost. The third pathway, and this is the way that is just developing, is exploring the cyberverse and the metaverse. The metaverse is just a very small part of the entire cyberverse. And what we're seeing is each of these blockchains as they're created is becoming a highway that is extending infinitely outward past from this central point, this little planet we have here that's like created this cyberverse. And we have so much exploration and every crypto that jumps on that highway is like a car driving off into nowhere that they don't know where they're going. They're just going and exploring the wild, wild west of the cryptoverse. 
And like I said, some of these cryptos are going to die. Some of these cryptos are going to be very successful. And the great thing about crypto is if your crypto dies, the person that created it is still there. They don't, they don't die. If you're going off into space and exploring and you die, there, there is no restart. You're dead. If you go underwater and you die, there's no restart. So Cryptoverse is the best place for there to be thousands and thousands of explorers because, yeah, you might lose some money, but you still get to wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, uh, you're coming out with a, a book, um, Dragons in the Digital Age. Tell us a little yep. bit about what that's about. Um, Dragons of the Digital Age um, is a book we decided one of the biggest problems that people have with crypto is they don't understand it. And if you go online, you will see people battling about blockchain, Web 3.0, and you get these people that are in the high level discussions, but nobody's really helping with the exception of Investopedia. I love Investopedia. If you have a question about investing, it's like the books that used to be on the shelf that you went mm-hmm. like, what, what does a narwhal look like? Yeah, that's how Investopedia works. <laughs> Um, but we decided that there needs to be a mainstream book that can be used. It can be used by regular people and also by college classes to teach how crypto works, what the role of the government is in crypto, because there is a role for government as much as I'm an anti-government person. Like I don't like them getting involved in things. I know they have to be there. I'm not an anarchist, but I don't want them interfering with people's private lives and telling them they have to stay at home or get um, do things to go to work or anything like that. We talk about what the role of a government is because a government needs to be there to make sure people aren't breaking already existing laws like fraud, theft, human trafficking. Those things are really big issues. And the crypto community has bent over backwards to help the government deal with those problems to the point that the government has turned down the crypto versus help in stopping some human trafficking and some drug cartels because the cryptoverse was finding that a lot of government sponsored stuff was involved with that. Mm. So those type of things um, are really big for the government to be involved with. And then the third part of the book um, looks at where the future is going, Um, not just with NFTs, um, which are a huge thing right now, um, the monkey pictures, but yep. where yeah. that can go with the technology. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that is, when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, that is that is the most useless thing since Pogs. And then as you look at what it is, it actually is real property in the, in the cyberverse, not just the picture, because you don't technically own the picture, you just own the rights to use the picture if you buy one of those monkey pictures. Mm-hmm. But it's setting up real property rights in the cyberverse, which the difference between real property, which is like your house, your skyscrapers, government buildings versus personal property, which is like this pen I'm holding. That's a big difference. And the fact that real property is being established in the cyberverse is monumental for not only human rights, but individual rights as we move forward. So it's, it's a really big thing. And we also look at where cryptocurrencies are going and stuff like that. So I think the book, it starts off in the first section with what is cryptocurrency? How does it work? How does investing in it work? Um, That you should go talk to an investment professional if you don't understand what you're doing, because you can blow a lot of money investing in anything. Mm. Then we talk about what the government's role is, and then we talk about the future. So it's a basically past, present, future style book to bring people up to speed and, um, uh, we, we think it's a good book or we wouldn't have put it out. So we're really thankful for the people at Elite Exclusivity for um, 
taking a chance on us and publishing it. And um, we found out last night that we had our first thousand pre-sales by a um, institutional awesome. buyer. So we've had pre-sales, we've had a lot of pre-sales, but this is a huge pre-sale to have a thousand come out to a oh, relative yeah. institution. So we're excited about it. Yeah, I, I bet. Now, and you cover uh, topics like NFTs and, and metaverse and, and the book? Yes, we cover them and we go into as much detail as we can. Um, these things are constantly expanding. So the moment we turned it over to the editors, some of the stuff was already moving forward, but in the predictive chapters, we, I'd say we've called about 98% of the stuff that's happened since we turned it over to the editors. Oh, good. No, that's, that's awesome. It sounds, that sounds, uh, sounds great. I wish, I wish we had more time because we could, we could talk all day about uh, what's happening. There's so much happening uh, with, with crypto and regulation and um, NFTs and the metaverse and, and everything that everybody's banking on. And uh, I guess it reminds me of the movie. A lot of people you know, struggle to understand this metaverse concept. Um, I refer them to the movie uh, Ready Player One is, is one of the movies, I think, kind of give them an idea of what that may look like in the future. I, I agree with that. I definitely agree. With that. I think you're going to say Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's another good one. What, um, so how can our audience uh, get in touch with you? How can they get the book? Um, uh, or if they just want to learn more. Um, to get in touch with me, it's pretty easy. I'm on link, LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can hit me up either of those places. Um, I'm fairly responsive on those. Um, I will let people know I gave up Facebook for Lent. So <laughs> uh, for the next two weeks, I'll be off Facebook. But um, you can also check out Brave's page. Um, if you message info at brave.org, it's B-R-A-V. There's no E in it, .org. Um, I, they will get it to me and I'll be able to respond to you. Um, I try to be as responsive to that as possible. Um, you can also check out Black Wallet LTD. You can learn a little bit about the company and um, how things can go. And if you want a copy of the book, which I would love it if a lot of people bought the book, um, you can go to Amazon. The pre-orders should be up for the digital version. And um, since they got rid of pre-orders for physical copies, the physical copy is supposed to be up uh, Thursday or Friday this week. And um, we're really excited about it. Like I said, it's a big book. It, it has a lot of information. And we also kept the price at under $25 because... Uh, we want to help people. Yep. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, we're, we're out of time, but uh, our guest today has been Christopher Smithmeyer. So he is uh, one of the creators of Black Wallet and also the book Dragons and the Digital Age. So thank you for being with us today, Chris. Oh, thank you very much. All right. And we hope everybody joins us next time when we have another topic uh, on turning your good life into a great life. So thanks again, Christopher. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business.